You have reached the voicemail box of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III and Doreen St. Felix. This week we'll be talking about Brad Pitt and Angelina's divorce, the Emmy Awards, and the upcoming film Moonlight. Leave a message. Ira, I, I am in shock. I don't know what to say. I left the gym this morning. I checked my phone to find that Angelina Jolie has filed for divorce from a one Brad Pitt. I know that you must be reeling. I just want you to, like, call me. We'll talk it out. I'm here. Call me back. I am very upset. Doreen. I know. Talk to me. Talk to me. Listen. First of all, you were like leaving the gym when you got this news. I woke up this morning (laughs) and checked my phone and people are like discussing in the MTV News Slack. Oh, yeah. um, Blah, blah, blah. Divorce. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) I hadn't even Googled, hadn't even visited Twitter yet, hadn't visited Facebook. I just stumble into the middle of a conversation about this divorce. Oh, that is so tragic. So you didn't have, you were just thrown into it. I was like, what That's is happening? That's LA time for you. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's because I was up late last night. I was reading like this James Baldwin book. Um, because I'm studious. Oh, you're so intellectual. You know, I was trying to be intellectual, and then I woke up this morning, and that all went out the window, because now I care about celebrity gossip <laughs> this morning. You're never going to finish the book. <laughs> never, never. It's tainted. <laughs> oh, my God. I have to say, tabloids love saying that Brangelina are going to break up. They've been saying that for the 12 years that they've been together, you know, and it's just a running joke that they're never actually going to be right with that theory in particular. So for me, I was just like, it almost feels like a joke. I can't believe this is happening. They've been together for 12 years and they got together in the realest way that somebody can by cheating on your wife. Mm -hmm. That's like real love. (laughs) Listen, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but apparently Us Weekly did get it right because what? So when I was like finally looking for the information, apparently a while back Us Weekly reported that there were tensions in the marriage because Angelina Jolie wanted to sell their chateau in Paris and Brad Pitt did not want to. Actually, I think it's just in France. Um, I guess there's other cities in France besides Paris. Anyway, um, they (laughs) were arguing about this, you know, because like apparently Angelina has like political aspirations and Brad is not having it. And she just wanted them to have their place that they pay taxes on in, you know, England. But um, they reported that a while back. But it didn't go online, apparently. It was just in a print edition. And it was the Daily Mail that like used quotes from it for a story. But um, yeah, Us Weekly, like low-key, knew some shit was going down. 
I mean, if you are stalking people for 14 years, at one point you're going to have to get it right. That's true. But I always, I always like, I never vocalized it because I didn't want to jinx anything, but I always found that it seemed Angelina Jolie's aspirations were diverging from Brad Pitt's. Like, as soon as they got together, that was when she was really, you know, coming to her own with respect to working with the UN. And now she's a lecturer at the London School of Economics. I was kind of like, this seems like what Angelina wants to do. But I don't know that I've ever thought of Brad Pitt as a humanitarian. Right. Maybe like a humanitarian for like sexiness. But he's not. (laughs) He doesn't have that thing in him so it always seemed like he was just kind of like doing what she wanted to do because she's so fine but maybe you know I don't know maybe Brad Pitt is kind of happy to not be in the situation anymore at least with her the kids is a whole other you know so I mean like thing we have to talk about you sort of have to remember that like Brad Pitt is just like really hot I never really started thinking of like Brad Pitt as you're right, like a humanitarian or even just like an intellectual until he got Mm -hmm. together with Angelina. It always, you know, they always seemed a little bit like opposites. He seemed more suited for Jennifer Aniston, to be honest. Or even Um, Robin Givens. Right. Listen, Robin has her own problems. So anyway. I didn't mean to shade Rob. You know what, Robin? I love how you're making yourself laugh. (laughs) This has has nothing to do with you, Robin. By the way, like, nobody has tweeted about Robin Givens today. Have you? I haven't. I thought about it, but I was like, you know what? This is a deep cut. And whenever people start to tweet it, I'll be like, oh, you're a real Brad Pitt fan. You Mm -hmm. know? Because people have been, like, making all sorts of, like, smart water jokes, but nobody's talked about Robin Givens. (laughs) And Avino jokes. (laughs) (laughs) But... I mean, getting back to, like, that thing, you know, I feel like George Clooney and, like, Amal, they got, like, a real thing because they're both into politics and, like, saving the world and shit. That's a really good analog to bring up. With Brad, it always always seemed like he loved being a father. Mm -hmm. And I think for Angelina Jolie, like, being a mother is very political. Obviously, she chose to adopt children from you know, war-torn countries around the world I mean, has a little bit of a white savior tinge to it. But, like, she's she doing that kind of work. And I think, yeah, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Continue. I was just, I can already tell you were going to say something shady. But <laughs> I was going to say she's paying it forward, you know? Um, and she always makes it a point to take the kids back to their home countries, which I think is, you know, more than a lot of white American adoptive parents would ever do. And so with respect to their children, I think that they will do whatever they have to do to make sure that those kids are okay. But uh, I don't know. The thrill is gone. I feel kind of dead inside right now. Listen, I mean, Angelina, I'm sure will take care of the planeteers that she adopted. But I want to say that Brad... I don't know what I want from him now. I mean, yeah, he'll be a good dad, but I'm like already thinking to the future and like, okay, is he going to be like single hot Brad on the town again? Like, is he going to be, or is he going to be like Ben Affleck? Oh, 
I hope he's not like Ben Affleck. Listen, I love Ben Affleck. I'm one of the few people who like always rides for Ben Affleck because I hate Matt Damon. But I think <laughs> that if Brad Pitt like started hanging out with Ben Affleck, I would have to send him like a fan letter and ask him to reevaluate himself. Actually, like I don't even want. Desist. I don't even want him hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio. But I mean that these are his contemporaries now. He's like, he's gonna be a single white male, <laughs> as opposed to single white female. A single white male in his forties, you know, like that's who he's gonna be hanging out with. He's not gonna be hanging out with his married friends because you know their wives are not gonna want him around because he's a cheating ass man. I just want. To imagine he's sleeping on George at Amal's couch every night. <laughs> like, it's a new sitcom, and, and he's there Three's all the company. Time. <laughs> Three's company with them, but they secretly prefer hanging out with Angelina. <laughs> and they hang out with her on the side. Speaking of on the side, I think we need to address the cheating rumors, though. Did you see the page six post? <sighs> Yeah, I heard about that that French seductress, Marianne Cotillard. <laughs> Alleged. We don't know if any of this is true. But Listen. the parallels between if this story turns out to, you know, be correct, the connections between that and how Brad and Angelina met in 2004 are too funny because they are also making a movie together and this movie is also about spies, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mhm. If Brad Pitt and Cotillard actually get together, I think that that would be <laughs> like the tabloids would go insane. Oh, I know. I think I would um burst into flames. That's out of pure adrenaline. <laughs> that's actually like I actually kind of love this because this is like some old Hollywood glamour here. Like I feel like it's been a while since you've had that like golden age of Hollywood, like, you know, movie star divorcing their spouse and hopping, like, you know, to the next person already. Oh, you've been, I feel like you've really been in the space of, you know, like, swarthy 50s Hollywood glamour, like the piece you wrote about Rami Malek. Like, mm. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. And I think compared to the other, the next biggest tabloid story of this of the year was Kim Kardashian and Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Kanye West and that is very much like younger generation like internet fueled it happened on Snapchat but you're right this has that sense of you know the like the tectonic plates in Hollywood are shifting and everyone's gonna have to like rearrange themselves around the new alliances that are inevitable after a breakup like that. This is real like Hollywood gossip. Like during the Taylor Kim drama, it's like that's one Taylor and Kanye have been feuding for years. So, you know, no one really cares about that. And we've all just sort of adjusted ourselves to you know, knowing that, like, you know, they don't really fuck with each other, except for when they're inexplicably friends. Um, they'll probably be friends again by Christmas. Anyway, that stuff is, like, music industry drama. But this is, like, Hollywood drama. And it's, like, I'm already thinking about, like, the Oscars next year. 
Oh my God! Yes, who's gonna sit where? Mm, this is some like, ooh, I love this white drama. <laughs> it's amazing. We need a white shade room. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this weekend was the Emmys, and I'm going to just start off by saying I thought that they were not bad which is probably the highest compliment I've had for an award show, especially like a television or movies-based award show in a very long time. Yeah, I don't really like Jimmy Kimmel. I thought he, w- he was Jimmy Fallon. Like, well, how are you going to be white and have the same name <laughs> and do the same job and expect me to be able to tell the difference? First, first of all, Jimmy Fallon is the one who's canceled because he just interviewed Donald Trump on his TV show and like oh, rubbed his God. head like a genie's lamp. But Jimmy Kimmel is, you know, I think I used to like him a bit more when he was like broy with Adam Carolla and hosted like the man show and shit. Now mm-hmm. he like lost that weight and he's like in the Hollywood in crowd. And it's just like, it's just always, he always gets like the Oscars after interviews with celebrities and they're always on a show. And it just feels like, I don't know. This isn't the Jimmy Kimmel that I grew up with. Not that I even loved the one before, but I'm just like, I don't have time for it. Because then he does shit like crying over Cecil the Lion. You remember when he did that. And I think a black person had been killed that week or they something. They had been. Oh, Jesus. So I really don't sort of see it for him, but he's better than like Seth MacFarlane. So fine. It was a good show. Some of his jokes fell flat. I'm sort of tired for one of the everybody copying Ellen with that let's have kids hand shit out in the audience bit or mm-hmm. whatever. I was like, what is with this PB and J's? Yeah, it was annoying. I was like, either think of something funnier to do or I don't know, like show me some upcoming clips from the new TV season. I don't know. There's nothing like I always forget that the Emmys ha- are just an award show. They have no performances. The The closest that you get to performances are literally the speeches. Yeah. I understand, obviously, a host, especially for the Emmys, Jimmy Kimmel, in this case, you're in the Hollywood in crowd like we were just talking about. But I do think for an award show to like really go over the bar, you do have to have a bit more of an antagonistic relationship with the crowd mm-hmm. and it's just boring to just, like not hear any real jabs or not hear any real barbs or that thing that he kept doing and so many white awards hosts are doing now is where they're like they're making they're preemptively making the jokes about um, the situation's whiteness mm-hmm. which is like the whole thing is you have to be a certain person to be able to tell that joke. It's not funny if you, Jimmy Kimmel, are like, oh, like this category has white men in it. Like you are literally a white man here hosting it and you have a show like it just falls flat. And I hated that he relied on that trope more than once and that so many other people did, too. I feel like every award show now is like joking about diversity when all you need to do is just, I don't know, be diverse. 
this was actually a pretty diverse Emmys as far as wins for actors, at least. You know, there was um, my boo, Rami Malek, looking... Looking amazing. So fine. Looking amazing in like Dior. I read a piece about it. Um, if you haven't read it, please go find it. It's great. Honestly, truly, you'll love it. <laughs> Alan Yang and Aziz Ansari won. So, that was great. yeah. I think like I enjoy Master of Regina None. Regina King. But I'm Courtney not like. Courtney B. Vance, Sterling K. Brown. Yeah. You know, like, I love Master of None, but I'm not, like, super, super into it. But I'm very glad that some Asian brothers won. Very happy for Courtney. Very happy for Sterling. Very happy for Regina. But that was sort of where, like, the diversity stopped. Because if you notice, all the shows that win are still full of, like, white people walking up on stage. It's white producers, it's white writers, you know, and it's like diversity that they keep pushing for in Hollywood seems to end with the visible people of color that you see on screen. And there's still not really a lot being done about that diversity, you know, behind the camera. That is such a shrewd point. Because at the end of the day, an actor can only do so much. You can only do so much with the script you've been given, with the story you have to tell. Mm -hmm. But it just changes when you have the people behind the camera on all of the levels, you know, when they have that subjectivity, too. And it's like Mr. Robot is such an interesting example of that because the creator is also not a white person. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the few examples that we have. And so I think, I don't know, I, I'm a pessimist through and through, but I do feel like, oh, maybe TV will lead the way for all the other industries in Hollywood. You know, like eventually... When an actor has enough clout, you become a producer and you become a producer on that show. So I don't know. Like Gabrielle Union is a really good example of this on Being Mary Jane. Maybe well, maybe that'll start to change. Being Mary Jane ain't winning no damn awards. Listen. I Don- know, but <laughs> Donald, as a system. I'm just you saying, know? like so like Donald Glover <laughs> has Atlanta and he has, you know, an all black staff. You know, everyone seems to love Atlanta. There's a possibility next year it could be nominated for an Emmy. You know, if it were to win Best Show, that would honestly be the first time that an all-black creative team would walk onto that stage to collect an Emmy award. Um, you know, Queen Sugar could be nominated next year, you know? I'm really hopeful for it because I really do feel like we have some black trailblazers. not And people of color trailblazers blazers that are actually just like more talented than their white counterparts and they're just telling stories uh, in a way that feels actually millennial like when you watch Atlanta it doesn't feel like there's a force fed idea of what millennialism is it's just like oh this shit is so real so I think eventually these networks are going to have to bend towards what people like. And if people like Atlanta, like Atlanta had a crazy, you know, opening numbers for people watching the show, maybe it bodes well. But but also maybe it doesn't. White people are stubborn as hell. 
I know, but also like FX has been like raking in the awards. And I'm not just saying that because the president of FX sent me a note saying that he loved the piece that I wrote on Atlanta. I'm not just saying that. Did you guys hear that? Yeah. Ira is, I mean, he was already famous, but now he's critically acclaimed. <laughs> so. No, congrats, boo. I was so happy when I heard that. That piece th- was Thank amazing. you. Yeah, I just, this is family, you know? Speed Dial is family. So I just wanted to mention it <laughs> for the fam. <laughs> But on the subject of like diversity and shit, let's talk about transparent because there were so many speeches from like everybody involved in transparent about how like we need to be telling diverse stories and this and that and whatever. And Jeffrey Tambor was like, you know, I hope that like I'm the last person, the last cis person playing a transgender woman. I'm like, first of all, Matt Bomber is trotting his ass out to play a trans woman in an upcoming movie produced by Mark Ruffalo. Two, we can recast your role, Jeffrey. How about that? How about that? Totally. It's not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) Like, your show is still on, boo. You can can leave. Can slide on out. Right? Give the role to a trans woman. They did it with Aunt Viv. They can do it with you. Sure did. It's good that they recognize the ultimate irony um, mm. in continuously giving these speeches while you're, most of your cast at least doesn't reflect that idea. But at the end of the day, people really love Transparent. So I feel like I need to give them like a little bit of a, a pass for it. But it is, it's pretty hypocritical. I know that you just saw the film Moonlight, Doreen. Um, I saw it a couple weeks ago. Can we talk about how perfect this movie is? This movie is so devastatingly beautiful. It's gorgeous. Not just in like subject matter. It's gorgeous in like the lighting, you know, everyone's skin tones. It's like that Ava DuVernay thing of like lighting black people beautifully. So I I could almost I can actually talk about this movie without even talking about the plot because I think there's so much to say about the cinematography. Mm-hmm. My boyfriend is a cinematographer and so he's always talking to me about how easy it is to light black people if you actually think of them as people. And he's always pointing out examples to me of cinematographers just not thinking of the black actor as an actual person who has nuance and shade and all these things. And I remember we were watching an episode of Stranger Things and he pointed out Lucas, which is the young black kid that's part of the crew. And he was like, look how terribly he's lit. But, you know, you see him in photos and it's like, oh, he has all these like gorgeous undertones. He has red, he has orange, he has blue. And Moonlight just understands that so well to the point where there's a scene where the main character, whose name is Chiron, he's standing in a like a basically like a patio in his high school and there's just so much light on him and this kid is like really dark skinned but he looks luminescent in that scene and I just wanted to like freeze frame it and look at that for hours it's just beautiful 
Right. So Moonlight is a film set in Miami, and it's about the childhood, adolescence, and adulthood of Chiron, who is gay and black. And so it sort of shows how his life progresses over the years and the people that he encounters and how he ultimately will or will not come to terms with himself. I don't even think we need any spoilers for people. I just think it's a beautiful film. You need to see it. I just think that it's such a important film in terms of one, like, I don't really think there's even like a definitive black gay movie, you know, aside from like Pariah. And... I don't think that there's ever been a better film on like black masculinity. It's great that you bring up Pariah, which is also a beautiful movie. You should see it if you haven't directed by Dee Reese. But Pariah really leans into like morality and ideas of virtue. And Moonlight doesn't do that simply off the strength of how little speech there actually is. Mm -hmm. So much of what you see from the main character Chiron is just him observing and him trying to protect himself or defend himself or sometimes trying to be open. He doesn't actually speak that much. And that's actually, you know, that's something that other characters comment on. And I loved that because I think it's so easy to fall into tropes, um, especially in regards to our ideas of black masculinity and gayness. And as much as it can at every point, Moonlight avoids those tropes it's not even like it's subverting them it's just like not interested mm-hmm. in our preconceived ideas of you know how a, a boy and then a man like this should live right even in the beginning you know with the drug dealer that he meets you know is not at all what you'd expect you know he like that's the man who even explains to him you know what being gay is and he seems to yeah. have a very loving relationship with Janelle Monet. Just so many like beautiful moments that show these black people as like real characters instead of poverty porn like um the exactly. wire the wire um by David. <laughs> I like to say nigga Simon. <laughs> and also just to like end this on a light note, which I know our listeners will love. There are no white people in this movie. There are no white people in this movie. And it's not even conspicuous. It's just like they're not there. And I think it's such a good example of how like sometimes as writers or just people who live on the Internet, it's so easy to say like, oh, black people live in a white world and whiteness is everywhere. And while that's true, it's not necessarily everywhere on a very local, everyday level. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason why black neighborhoods are the way that they are is because they actually don't interact with white people day by day. You know, and that's actually why we have like all of the structural racism that we do. But mm. I loved how even the teacher, even the principal, these like inconsequential characters were black. And it was just I can tell that a decision was made in order to have that be, and I really appreciate it. Yeah. You don't because see it how many movies do we see where it's the opposite? Exactly. It's always like, oh, the white savior teacher coming in, mm-hmm. you know, and like disciplining these kids or opening the world. Or just them, a, or just a movie Moonlight where there's is, not a single non-white yeah. person. It's just a beautiful film. And you should see it as soon as that's possible for you in whatever city you live in. 
run and tell that. And now we've come to the um, feedback portion. You know, feedback is where we invite our listeners to call in and ask us for some advice. But before we get to that first call, we were tweeted some feedback. This person has been tweeting at us nonstop, apparently, uh, about how we have been pronouncing Colin Kaepernick's oh. name incorrectly. This it is, is true. It is Kaepernick, and apparently we've been saying Kaepernick, and it really turned this person off. Love the I podcast, so but please learn how to pronounce Colin Kaepernick's name. I think it undermines your argument. I understand how that happens, though, if you've only encountered the story in print and aren't football fans. I will point out that I am a football fan. I just don't give a fuck about any team that's not the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. A, a gay black man does watch football. So now um, here is an actual call that we got. Hi, Ira and Doreen. I have a really serious problem that I'm hoping you can help me with. I have lots of friends, and they're all white, who insist and calling Beyonce Bay. That is not her name. That is not her nickname. And I'm wondering if you can give me some advice as to how to handle these people because I'm losing my damn mind. Thank you. Ooh, girl, you sound stressed. Stressed. She is super (laughs) stressed. And listen, I get it. Whenever you encounter someone who's like, oh, you going to see Bay tonight or Queen Bay? I'm like, have you literally never heard anyone refer to this woman for like the past decade here's the thing here's the thing i understand it i'm gonna just be real i made that mistake once myself just once however and then i corrected myself i called you out on it but because yes i our first episode anyway (laughs) (laughs) because it's spelled b-e-y and i guess the word bay in general has infiltrated public language but that doesn't mean that you can just change Beyonce's name you would never say Beyonce so speaking as two people who were just reprimanded for mispronouncing (laughs) Um, (laughs) right I think it's some irony there are we allowed to call out people for mispronouncing Beyonce's name when we mispronounce Colin Kaepernick's name yeah, we're of course we're allowed to do that. It's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, we're allowed. Don't fuck with Beyonce's name. Don't fuck with her name as Queen B. Her fans are called the Beehive. Like, there's literally bees everywhere surrounding this bitch. Like, who who do you think is calling her Bay? You know what you have to do, Ma? You gotta send them emails, text with a pronunciation guide. And at the end, You don't have to do this, but this is my advice. I would say, if you don't stop fucking mispronouncing her name, our friendship is over. I think it's a very measured approach to take Mm -hmm. to a really um, just very difficult problem. I think that you should, like, set some bees loose on them. And then when they start screaming that bees are attacking them, you want to say, I thought they were bays. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, 
I hate you. Can you go back to sleep? (laughs) (laughs) Um, One last thing. We did get a feedback from someone who was unable to finish their phone call. Like the call dropped out. I'm going to play this segment and I hope that you call us back because we're very intrigued by this story and we want to know where it's going. Hi, so I have a situation. I just want some validation that I'm in the right in this situation. So uh, the other day, my friend, she, um, we were getting a ride home from our job. We just have like a typical high school job. And <laughs> that's it. That's all we got. There's so much mystery. You got to call us back. We want to read your friend. Right, like, what the fuck did their friend do? Is your friend Brad Pitt? (laughs) I just want to know. Go. (laughs) Oh, my God. If anything, her friend would be Maddox or something. (laughs) Sorry, we shouldn't bring celebrity children into this. Sorry, guys. Um, (laughs) If you want to call us back and let us know if you were indeed talking about Brad Pitt, our number is 424-354-9335. And if any of you out there who have not called in yet would love advice from us, would love to tell us what names we're mispronouncing, or... You know, maybe Marion Cotillard wants to call in and get the record straight. Our number, once again, is 424-354-9335. Leave a message. I'm still distraught from this um, Brangelina news, so I'm literally going back to bed. Okay. Bye, boo. See you later. Text me, like, slack me. If you need anything, I can send you some soup. Thank you. This episode of Speed Dial was produced by Kasia Mihailovic, Michael Catano, and Mukta Mohan for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. Subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.